This is the second episode of the Ask Dad Labs podcast. It was recorded March 4th, 2021. It's simple. You ask questions, dads answer. When we need actual answers, we find the experts. Our panel is made up of longtime friends. Clay is one of the founders of Dad Labs. He's in Austin, Texas, and has one in high school, one in college, and one out sailing the seas, literally. Nick is in Louisville, Kentucky, and he has kids who are 6 and 13. I'm Ben. I'm south of Detroit, and my kids are 11 and soon to be 13. We'll have a fancier introduction in the next episode. And, of course, I said that in the last episode, so, so one of these days it'll be true. So I got a COVID test the other day, and the nurse asked me if I'd had a sudden loss of taste. You know what I told her? I said, no, I've dressed like this for my whole life. I get that a lot. That's also, that's true. I mean, that's a <laughs> joke that's both bad and true, which is yes. the best joke, really. Yeah, it is. I agree. Well, guys, how are you doing? Clay? I'm well. Um, we are we are thawed. We are past the crazy Texas freeze and have transitioned quickly into Texas political COVID insanity. <laughs> All right. So it's uh, it's been a quick turn, but uh, other than that, we're we're pretty good. We're pretty good. How's COVID insanity in Kentucky? Um, it's not too bad, actually. Um... They've been, we've, we were one of the first states to prioritize teachers. So that'll go into the school subject later. But uh, COVID's not too bad here as far as what I am is experiencing with people. I'm not seeing a whole lot of anti-maskers. When I have gone out, most people are wearing masks and I haven't witnessed any of the uh, viral videos of people going off on people and coughing on people and all of that crap that that Texas does. <laughs> but, um, we're, we're doing well here. We're, we, we're in what we normally call false spring. We've got like eight days of 50 degree weather. And then that'll be followed by about uh, three or four days of twenties. I'm sure. And then we'll hit real spring. And I'm, <laughs> I'm looking forward to, to getting out of this cold. Well, up here on the Detroit River, it looked like broken glass. It was all white um, for for weeks, and it was it big shards of ice that were just twisted and turned all all sorts of directions. And it it in the course of about three days, it went from a, a little streak of blue where they keep the channel open, the Coast Guard at at work, uh, go coast go coasties, and uh, <laughs> and uh, all of a sudden, no ice to be seen. It, it just disappeared real quick. So, uh, really, really great up here. So, our questions this time. So, the school situation, everyone wants to know about school. So, what's happening in your schools and uh, what do you like about it? What don't you like about it? Well, our kids are about to start a hybrid in-person and virtual instruction. We have the choice that we could stay NTI, which is non-traditional instruction, or stay virtual or go in-person. My problem with it is with the in-person part is it's the hybrid where they're only going two days a week in-person. They go, they're go, they'll go Monday and Tuesday because of their last name. And then nobody goes on Wednesday and they clean the schools. And then the other half of the kids go on Thursday and Friday. That's really hard for the teachers to keep the same teacher for the kids 
because the in-person teacher has to do, I'm assuming some type of virtual broadcast at the same time as what they're doing, their in-person stuff. And to me, that's way too much to ask for of teachers, especially for just a couple of months. To me, there seems to be no reason at all to go through this frustration for everybody, for everybody, for parents, kids, teachers, and not just keep doing NTI, non-traditional instruction, and then deal with the COVID after everybody's, you know, most people have been vaccinated and get back to a lot more normal level of in-person in the fall. But we're lucky that, you know, we're both home right now. Alice is working from home and uh, I'm not working. (laughs) So I'm able to be here. So I know it's a privileged position for me to be able to let them stay home if we wanted to, but particularly for Penny, the six-year-old, she needs, she needs some more interaction with other kids. She's a challenge right now. She, she, I think she will do much better. She likes NTI, but I think she'll do better with some in-person stuff, being able to interact even with the teacher rather than having all the kids have to take turns and not be able to do any kind of, I mean, they'll still do group things like they'll do them at the same time and they won't be able to be together together, but she needs it more than Indy does, but we'll see how that goes. Clay, your kids are all in college, right? (laughs) Well, some of them are beyond college, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, COVID classroom here in our household is uh, about uh, high school and college. My uh, middle child, my daughter, you know, shipped off to college, did a week of in her, her dorm room isolation with her four dorm mates. And this week she celebrated going back to school with two classes in person, two classes virtual. She's at a small private college in Connecticut. Two two in-person classes, two virtual classes. She's back at work in the coffee shop on campus and they resumed practice for her sports team, uh, field hockey. So in a way, she's back to a pretty full college experience. It's very fragile at any moment. They, they surveillance test all the kids at the college twice a week. If there's a significant outbreak, which has happened in the past, they could be right back, boom, into stuck in their rooms. But the brilliant sign for me and my college daughter was I didn't hear from her from the day she went back about a week and a half ago until today she called me for the first time and she was apologetic and like dad i've been so busy and so and i and i said that was the most beautiful silence i ever heard in all my parenthood because i knew you were in your zone you were doing your thing you're being a college student you're hanging out with your roommates you're busy with classes, you've, you've gotten re-engaged with all these things that make a college experience a college experience. And, you know, they're still wearing masks and they're distanced and they can't go to parties and they can't go off campus. There's still tons of restrictions. But, you know, what I feel when I when she calls me is what you want to hear from your kid when they're in college, which is that they're just so engaged in that experience and so busy and working really hard and trying to find the hours to sleep. (laughs) And, you know, that's all you want to hear. So um, after all the frustration and sacrifices and losses and 
that I heard while she was at home with us and missing those things, you know, finally there was that, that just blissful silence where I knew she was submerged in, in that world and, and was getting that experience. So, and, and I heard it, you know, today, I finally got a report about the (laughs) classes and the coaches and what they're thinking about and that, but they might get a couple of games this spring after having lost an entire season. So, you know, those college years are precious, you know, they, they go by really fast and they've been hyped up so much that I was just, I was glad to hear it. And, and I guess the same is somewhat true of high school now. I've got to be very cautious about how I talk about how our high school is managing the COVID crisis. That is because my wife of almost 25 years is the head of the school where my children go. So if I'm to criticize that particular institution, I could be opening up a whole realm of, of potential outcomes. But here's what I'll say about what I've observed, which is, geez. Well, so how, how is it? It's a boarding school. It's a boarding school. And we've lived on the campus of this boarding school for, for 25 years. It's our whole world. It's where we've lived our whole adult lives. And my wife, who started as the assistant to the headmaster, has risen to the position of being head of upper school. We've got a resident community of, you know, about 80 kids that come from all over the world, including China. And we've got a day student population that runs from grades 6 to 12. It's a, it's a big, um, busy, vibrant place. Kim uh, instituted at the beginning of the year, a kind of a, a hybrid model that has evolved and become a little bit more flexible. So the way that the school week works here at St. Stephen's is that it is a, a, a alternating 50-50 hybrid model on Monday and Tuesday. Wednesday is a half day. Everybody stays remote. Thursday and Friday, hybrid. However, any student that chooses to may come to campus every single day. And as long as the classrooms are not above the social distancing minimums, they can either attend classes in person, or if that's full, they can stay on the campus, in the library, in an open space, and attend classes virtually, but be at school. And so the, the genius of that is that you really can engage in a pretty robust campus life, observe some distancing, be careful in the classroom when you're inside. And and that's been uh, the world for my son, who's a junior in high school and and very much a social creature. And we struggled. We we struggled with remote class. It was not a good fit for him without the social reward of being with kids. And I'll just acknowledge with, you know, this is all in the context of tremendous privilege that, you know, at home, I would have to wake him up every period. Like I, if there was a, there was a risk every single class that he would sleep through and he slept through a lot. So um, we've resumed sports. He's an athlete. That's the defining sort of part of his experience. He played soccer and today he played this sport, which he loves lacrosse and had a great game and they won. And, and uh, there were no, fans allowed in the stands because I live here and because I masquerade as a, as a film guy, I'm actually allowed to observe. And that was, that was delightful. And I will tell a a long story about my, how bad a 
cameraman I am at some point when we have time. And now I've talked for a long time. You're one of those guys that only shows your kid, even though you're supposed to film the whole team, right? It's worse than that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll have to hear this someday, won't we? Yeah. So, so my little island, we've got, we've got a township with, uh, you know, 10,000 people and we've got a, a school district that's just our islands on this side of the bridges. And we've been, it's been a hybrid since the beginning of the school year, Michigan, Michigan law makes it so that school districts are supposed to start the day after Labor Day. So from, from the day after Labor Day, we started hybrid and uh, when when numbers started to rise in December, they they sent everybody home for virtual, but it's been hybrid with uh, two and a half days of red and gray teams, so no no day off in the middle or or any half days like that. And uh, it's uh, you know we we were preparing. I actually had gotten some screens and stuff to separate space because we expected the boys to have to be at home working and have to separate them and and kill down the noise. My wife works from home in the living room and, and who knows what I'd be doing at any given time. So, so we were making up spaces and then it turned out that my older son has autism. So he got an exception to the, the hybrid and he had the option to go to school five days a week. And so that's what he, that's what he's been doing. Now I've got one in, in fifth grade and one in seventh. So the seventh grader autistic and, and has that going. The fifth grader the elementary schools, we've got two elementary schools. One is for kindergarten through second grade. The other one's for third through fifth. They moved half of the second grade into the, into the, the upper elementary building. They moved all the fifth graders to empty space that they'd now made in the middle school and our administration building that's right next to it. So the fifth graders have their own classroom. They don't leave their classroom. At least that's what we're told as parents. I've learned since that they have to, they actually have to walk to the, the, cafeteria to deposit their ticket that they're having lunch. Then they walk back to their classroom and the cafeteria delivers their lunch to their classroom, which is bizarre. No, doesn't seem to be a reason for that, but, but generally he stays in that room, even though my other son's classes are all completely around the classroom that the younger son is in, they never see each other because they're, because the younger is in his classroom all day. And except for that trip to the cafeteria or bathrooms, he doesn't, he doesn't leave that room. So he's with one teacher. They had to hire a bunch of new teachers for elementary because of that, because they spread out the classes. They've got a lot more classrooms. In fact, our, our teacher, the, the fifth grade teacher still is not listed as a teacher on the district's website. <laughs> so, so I've always had to go to the website to find my kid's teacher to remember what her name is when I call in sick and, and late for orthodontist appointments. And I can't do that because she's not listed. So it's kind of weird, but it's, you know, we, we went through the middle of January right after president's day or Martin Luther King day. We came back to, uh, to, to hybrid after being all virtual. And I'll tell you, it's, it's been pretty good. The worst part for us is that they did away with busing the buses they determined was going to take too many resources to put screens between all the seats. Mm. And then with the hybrid system, they'd only be picking up half the kids and they wouldn't be picking up the kids from, you know, the, the distribution would be off because it's by last name. And so you'd have more right. in one section of the Island than others. We've only got like four buses for the whole school district. 
and we've added an extra building because the administration's building's being used. They all have to go in separate doors, so you can't have a general bus stop drop off at the school. So there are all sorts of reasons for that. And I'll tell you, the parents are really, they're probably most upset about the busing. And, and I'll tell you, I, I wouldn't have thought that all these parents had dropped their kids off at, or had let their kids ride the bus before because there are an awful lot of kids being dropped off every day at school. But parents are really upset about it now. So there are even, even rumors that they were going to discontinue busing, that they were taking advantage of this to discontinue <laughs> busing forever. And yeah. no one lives more than about a mile and a half from any of the school buildings. Well, uh, maybe, yeah. maybe two miles. So it's not, it's not that bad, but, but still, you know, the, the thing is the schools are not built for this, right? They're, they're built to have some buses and then they're, they're built for a certain amount of cars. The parking lots are only so big and we, you know, this is a, a small Island, but we've got, we've got traffic blocked all over the place. You know, there, there are people basically parking their cars in the middle of the street on our major thoroughfares. We only have three roads that go north and south through the island. And one of them is blocked because of the one of the, the upper elementary school and, and uh, the one that's on the east side of the island is blocked because of the middle school. And so you've got, you know, UPS vans trying to get through. You've got dump trucks or whatever trying to get through all this traffic. And they don't know that, that this is going to be blocked up. And it's going to be that way for the rest of the year. So it'll be interesting to see what happens from here. But, but yeah, the busing situation wasn't something I thought would, would be a big issue uh, this far in. So, so do you have any predictions for what, what school is going to look like the rest of this year? Are things going to change or stay the same? Or next year, do you think we're going to start out under all these restrictions? I think there'll be restrictions, especially in the classroom next year. Uh, hopefully, they'll get more teachers and they will have smaller class sizes. That's, that's my big hope that that's the big takeaway from this is that they will be able to spread kids. My kids weren't sick at all last year, at all, never once, because they weren't going to the giant Petri dish that is a school building. But as far as for the rest of this year, I have a feeling it's going to be a lot more battles with the boy getting work done and getting up and going to school on those two days. But, you know, that's that's the gig. Right now, with everything virtual, is the easiest school is ever going to be. I mean, for anybody, as far Except as... the for, teachers, for, yeah. Well, yeah, for, for, the, for any student, it really is the easiest it's ever going to be. Do your, you know, go to class, watch the class, and then do your work at your leisure and have every resource available to you to do all of the work that you have to do. But on the same hand, I don't really want to scare him that, hey, it only gets worse from here, bud, <laughs> because the battles are already bad enough uh, and we're only halfway there. So it, it's, it's going to be tough, I think, to, to make the adjustment for the kids. It's not going to be an adjustment for me until um, I do get a, a job and then I have to, you know, all of our normal logistics go out the window and we have to apply new logistics and and new plans and everything with my wife's job and my job and, and their schooling. So um, it's going to be tough this year, the rest of this year, more than I think it, I think come fall, it should be fairly easy and fairly normal. The return to school issue, of course, incredibly complicated. You know, I, I don't know if it's the easiest it's going to be, Nick. I mean, yeah, I see what you mean, but 
I think for a lot of kids, learning this way is hard. And with the compounding issues of COVID on families, I think it's, it's for a lot of kids, it's just really hard to, to show up and have the energy to show up in the way that they have in the past. But for me, the big issue about what school looks like in the future is really about protecting kids. And as crazy as things in Texas have gotten, the one silver lining has been that yet that they are adding teachers to uh, the one B list. And my wife has gotten on, gotten an appointment to get her first vaccination on Saturday. And a lot of the teachers that I know that work at the school also have managed to get appointments. So, you know, once you've got a school that is, that has a faculty and staff that's immunized, that's a really different risk assessment for administrations, given what we've seen in terms of transmission and danger to kids. And so, you know, I think that's just the smart thing to do. And if, if, our governments can get together and say, hey, let's just do that. If we get all the teachers immunized and there's minimal risk to kids, then really we can accelerate. We can lean into, you know, this, this notion that schools can become uh, a safe place. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of complexity around that. But once all the teachers are immunized, it's a very, very different world. And that could happen quickly. I mean, you know, in the net, I, I predict that in the next three to four weeks, maybe even less, every teacher at the school where we live will be immunized. That's a completely different world. And right. that's one where you can start to say, hey, maybe in person for everyone is acceptable. And maybe we can start coming together in chapel. We can start coming together in the performance hall. We can start, the choirs can sing again and the kids can rehearse again. And, you know, the teams can play again. And, you know, so I, I think that's, if you prioritize teachers getting immunized, all that comes into range. Well, when I say easiest it's, it's ever going to be, I, I mean the work, you know, the, the actual school work, the homework and all of that. The, the social aspects of it, I mean, are even tougher because, you know, middle school, he's in middle school. And that's where you learn all of that, how to deal with good friends and bully friends and, you know, all of the different cliques and uh, all of that. And he's not really getting that. I mean, he has two, we have two neighbor friends that, that they hang out with and they all hang out together sometimes. And that's, that's it. You know, they, they don't, and, and he's, he's, in, he's in theater and that's been really, really tough to do virtually. They did a play and it, it was just so tough because some of the kids were able to do, you know, they decorated their backgrounds and stuff and, you know, as if they would for a set and then some people didn't. And it was just, it was a really tough production for all of them. Well, good and, for you for getting a theater kid, man. I tried and tried. I just failed <laughs> at that. I just a hundred percent fail. I, I was always a drama guy and I, you know, drama program, all of them, you know, my daughter did a little singing, my son did some drums, but really, Total fail. Well, that's that's all Alice. She was she was the thespian, and um, 
and I'm not sure we have a theater kid um, with with him. I think it was one of those. I don't want to do these other classes. <laughs> and so he, he's like, I'll, I'll I'd even take that, Nick. I would I, take that hundred <laughs> percent. Right. You're right. I think that's kind of what, but I, I really think he would enjoy it in person on stage. And I know that I would, because you know, I would love to be helping build sets and, and Alice could help with costumes and sewing and stuff. And I, I would just I'd love to do that for the school, not just for him. So I, I'm not able to do any of that. And I can't, he had a, a science thing, an assignment that was about predicting distances and, and velocity and stuff. And the program that was using it, it was using skateboarding and, you know, I'm a skateboarder. He oh, didn't even tell you? me about it. He didn't even tell me about it. And I was like, Dude, I mean, I, I wouldn't do the work for you, but still, that's the kind of thing. Hey, Dad, you check this out. You know, no. So, but I also didn't get a kid that likes Star Wars. I didn't get a kid that likes superheroes. So, yeah, um, I, I'd trade the theater for that any day, but Alice won't. So. Well, this is, a, <laughs> this is a great segue. We'll move on to the next question, but... This segues to actually the the night that we're recording this is a big debut for one of one of our very own. Clay had a play debut tonight, a revision to one he wrote a while ago. Do you want to tell us a little bit about it? <laughs> this is a this is kind of a crazy story. Uh, you know, I, I hope this won't bore the audience, but you know, the crazy thing is that this is my senior college project re-emerging 35 years later <laughs> to come to life again. So literally I wrote a thesis when I was a senior in college. I made this proposal, it's hard to explain, but I proposed to my college for my senior thesis that I would research, write and perform a one-man show about a sort of little known but significant a Texas political figure, a guy named Sam Rayburn. You've probably heard the Rayburn office building. It's named for him because he was Speaker of the House for longer than anyone until Tip O'Neill came along. Anyway, he was witness to, you know, and, and core to sort of American political history from the Woodrow Wilson administration to the JFK administration when he died at age 79. And he was, you know, Speaker of the House. He's a, a colleague and best friend of Lyndon Johnson. The two of them basically ran legislation in, in the 60s. And, um, you know, as a, a, a character had kind of fallen into obscurity. So I wrote this play and I, I did it. And, you know, uh, Rayburn, one of the things he's most known for is being uh, completely bald. But at the time, I had long flowing locks and I, you know, decided that, well, I'm not going to, I'm 22. I'm not going to shave my head to do the thing. And so fate did this to me. Uh, <laughs> and now I am utterly bald. I think for just for the hubris of not willing to shave, shave my head. But anyway, so the play went on to have a kind of an interesting life. It ended up being produced by a couple of different theater companies and of all things, it, it wound up in one of the craziest moments of my life on the stage of the 
Lyndon B. Johnson Presidential Library being performed in front of a crowd that included Mrs. Johnson, Lady Bird Johnson, and a bunch of contemporaries of Sam Rayburn in, in you know, this, uh, I don't know how to describe it, but, you know, a thousand people in the audience, most of whom knew who Rayburn was. And, you know, <laughs> I was sitting there as the, you know, 26 year old playwright of this crazy play. Anyway, um, that night ended up resulting in me getting invited to have dinner with the first lady at the LBJ ranch. But that's another story that would take another 30 minutes. Wow. The, the actor who played Rayburn was, was fantastic in that production. And he ended up with his own theater company in Austin, Texas and COVID hit, and he started to think, what could I do? And he said, well, now that, you know, now I'm in almost, you know, Mr. Sam's age, Sam Rayburn's age, uh, I think I should do the play again, except I can't memorize all the lines. What if we did it as a radio play slash podcast? We did it in installments. I could read it. And so he came to me with that idea, and I was just absolutely thrilled with it. Dave Jarrett is his name. Dave Jarrett Productions is the producing theater company. And so tonight, the first installment of The Speaker Speaks, An Evening with Sam Rayburn, it's basically being presented in three acts. And the first act is live now, and you can go to davidjarrett.com. And uh, we'll have links it's in the two description, so that show, the first episode is now live and, and act two uh, will drop next week and act three the week after that. That's, That's awesome. excellent. That's so cool. All right. So moving on to the next question, this actually comes from a new dad. He's, uh, I think his, his daughter is about six months old now. He's also my nephew. He asked me if several questions we'll, we'll pepper these in over the next episodes, but the one that really jumped out to me, and this is a really, a really honest question is he wants to know, how do you help children reach their development goals without being overbearing and going overboard? So how do you get them to say their first words? How do you get them to walk? How do you get them to use, you know, proper potty etiquette, all that I sort of know. stuff. <laughs> I, one of the nice things, the silver linings of my, my oldest child was a premature baby and he was born at 29, almost 30 weeks and spent many weeks in the neonatal intensive care unit. He's now an ensign in the Coast Guard. And I just saw pictures of him with his shipmates doing a CrossFit workout in celebration of of some uh, Coast Guard anniversary yesterday. So he is, a, he is a happy, fit, accomplished, beautiful human being, but he was born as an orange, sticky, bent, weird-headed, <laughs> not cooked being. And it was the most <laughs> tragic, week in my life my wife and I were traumatized and and you know this baby was just not ready to be out and and was in the ICU with you know every attachment and tube possible and I'm in and out scrubbing in to go into the neonatal intensive care unit and put 
this little sticky baby on my chest and do kangaroo care. It really was the defining moment for me in terms of being a father and, and, and deciding to be committed. But the, the gift that that hardship gave me was that we, we started to not pay attention to the milestones. And, you know, there was all kinds of, because anytime you have a, a preemie baby, they're going to miss their milestones. And there's all kinds of ways that you compensate for that. Oh, you know, factor in what their birthday was supposed to be and then, you know, figure that out. And, and you know, I think my wife and I, although it was a battle, I think finally we gave ourselves the room to say, it's going to be different. It's going to be different. And um, it's going to be different for our son and it's going to be different for every person. And if you go see your pediatrician on the schedule that you're supposed to see your pediatrician, let that person worry about milestones and you love your kid and show up and be there. And, and, you know, other than that, these milestones are, are things that are, that begin your education as a parent in learning to deal with your self, your expectations, and your anxiety. And it doesn't go away, but <laughs> you're starting the conversation. And it's the first moment where you can start to take control of that and say, I'm in charge of this. You're not in charge of this. And um, I'm going to be okay with what my kid is. Yep. I was going to say the exact same thing. Milestones are averages. They're going to be different for every single child. Do not worry about them. Talk to your child. You know, some people say don't do baby talk. I don't care. Do baby talk. But do it in a, in a conversational pattern. Like blah, 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 blah. You know, it, it's still that, that interaction. Interact with your child. Read with them. Play with them. Read to them constantly. And those milestones will happen. Potty training the, the biggest thing there is when they show interest, then worry about potty training. If they aren't showing interest, it's going to be a battle. It's going to suck and it's going to take much longer. I'm well aware of how that goes. It took forever with the boy, with the girl. We didn't worry about it. We waited till she showed interest and we're like, okay. And she started showing interest and, and, and then we jumped on board. Didn't take me. It, it was not the battle that it was with the boy. Don't worry. Like he said, worry about, let the pedi pediatrician worry about the medical milestones. But as far as developmental milestones, don't even worry about it. Just be there and, and they will take care of themselves. They will, they will meet them. Guaranteed. One of the things that's really interesting that happens as a parent is that you have like, the worried parent voice that's just fueled by all your anxieties and the things that you've read and what other people have told you that is ever present. And I think that the sooner you get in dialogue with that, with your more rational, like, okay, like I know me self, and you start having a conversation with that anxiety, the better off you're going to be. And the first one, you, you know, those conversations start 
immediately with these milestones. And that the external expectation of what your kid is going to be doing or what you're worried about or where they're supposed to be doing, that anxious voice is going to be present throughout your entire parenthood. And the quality of relationship that you have with your kid is going to have a lot to do with how successfully you get in dialogue with that part of yourself and successfully talk that down such that anxiety is not the primary driver of the communication and relationship that you're having with your kid. So milestones great does a great job of triggering (laughs) the anxious parent. And that means it's okay. Time for the more rational part of my brain to, to have a dialogue with that anxiety so that I don't blow it. No, and get pissed off at my kid or my spouse or whoever because it's underperforming the expectations of the worried guy, you know? Well, and other parents too. Well, my kid was walking when he was six months old. Whatever. Who cares? Great. Great for you. Um, it's, it's not a competition with you. Every year we do another IEP uh, for my older son. And that, that IEP paperwork we have to fill out every year asks us about each of those milestones. So they want us to remember like how old he was when he was talking and you know, all these things. And we've just started just scratching them out because they don't care. I mean, he's in, he's in seventh grade. It doesn't doesn't matter, you know, when he used the toilet the first time. Uh, Anyway, I think we got that covered really well. And I'm sure there are lots of dad labs videos on YouTube that we can point to that talk about different milestones. And yes, there are, there are, if you, if you Google we'll provide labs, link. milestones, there are multiple videos. We're going to do a best of. Exactly we'll, we'll, figure out. we'll pick out some episodes and, and put them in the, uh, in the episode description down there. So taking care of yourself, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about taking care of the kids and, and families and, and all that. So what do you, what do you do? What have you done to make sure that you have enough energy to be able to keep up with your kids? I haven't figured that out yet. (laughs) (laughs) I don't, I don't have enough energy to do all the things that running the household requires taking, getting them to classes and making sure all their work's done and then doing the things that I want to do. I don't have enough time in the day and I certainly don't have the energy I don't know if that's because I am fairly healthy, but I am not fit in any, you know, by any stretch. I, I don't know if that's a, a medical thing that I just don't get enough sleep or whatever. But no, I haven't figured out as far as energy goes. But I take time to do some of the things that I want to do, you know, like the the laser stuff, the the creative outlets and the flow arts. But it, it doesn't necessarily take priority or anything, especially the last year with, with COVID and all that, you know, it's it, just surviving each day is, is the priority getting what has to be done, done, getting the dishes done, getting the laundry done, keeping the household moving. There's not a whole lot of extracurricular activities going on with anybody. So it, it hasn't been too, it hasn't been a, to me, it hasn't been a disappointment that 
I didn't get to do this. I didn't get to do that. Nobody did. You know, nobody's doing these things. We'll get there. And the things that are important to me, I will make time for. And as the kids get older, they'll be much more self-sufficient. And, you know, I have, I have a six-year-old now, so I still have to, you know, that still takes a lot of supervision. <laughs> the 13-year-old takes supervision for, for schoolwork, but that's about it. Everything else is is just is is really it's just surviving and 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 going through the motions for the for for right now. Um, we'll we'll get to a point where it can be like deliberate actions and and trips and activities and events. We'll get there. Yeah. How do you do it, Clay? You got you got a gigantic kid. You're preemie. Yeah. It's just, that kills me that he is just. Yeah, he's, you know, it's, it's very strange having someone that's a full grown human doing their professional thing, you know, as a part of your parenting portfolio. But um, yeah, we're, we're there. I mean, the, for me, when I was in my thirties, I had young kids at home and if I got out for a walk, that was a big win. And so I think it's okay if you're in the middle of it, you've got young kids and, you know, trying to find time to carve out for yourself is hard. It's okay to say, you know what, not now, but in the future, yes, remind yourself of that. And then when I turned 40, you know, I decided on Valentine's Day, the year that I turned 40, that I was going to get a, and I started with a Wii. I got a Wii and I set it up in my living room and it was this little like step class and I held the little handles and they were like, step up, step down, step up. step. Yeah. And I did that, you know, and I decided I was going to do that every morning. And it took me about, you know, a month when at 40, taking time for my health and fitness became a habit. And, you know, that habit then kind of went crazy. And for a lot of my forties, I was running marathons and half marathons and really got very quite focused on that and, and was finding probably a little too much time for myself. If you have time to train for a marathon, you know that you've got fewer domestic responsibilities than you used to. So in my 40s, I was investing a lot of time um, in that. Obviously, with the advent of COVID, you know, I've gotten more creative. But I would say that for me, that's been important in terms of, you know, my own health and well-being, setting an example for my kids. Um, and during COVID, I, I found some time with my kids to do that. And, and it, I think it helped enable them in, in a way that I've been very inspired by to stay committed to their sports and their training and to be ready now that that's over and they're re reemerging in, in, you know, quite fit and ready to compete. It's a luxury. It's a privilege for me that I've, that I've had the time, you know, and access to, we live at a school that had a gym that we had access to throughout the pandemic. I don't think that was true of 99% of families in the country. So that was an unusual situation, but I don't think if you find yourself in a, in a busy moment in your parenthood that you need to judge yourself, 
you just stay aware that there's going to come a time, you know, when you're a little bit older, where you really are going to have to invest in that so that you're present and ready for grandkids and, and um, to support your kids when, when uh, they need you. And yeah, it's, it, it's temporary. It might take, it might be years, but it is temporary. They're yeah. only small for so long. Well, I'll, I'll tell you that it's been, it was really tough for me to take the kids to school. You know, when last year, um, when, when the kids got on the bus in the morning, you know, it was, it was always hard to be awake because it was, it was very quick. You know, we got them to their breakfast, made sure they didn't smell too bad and got them out the door for the bus. Actually. Yeah. So, so there were two different bus times, but you know, it was very limited contact. I'm driving each of the kids to school and each of them, even though they're in the same building, they start an hour apart. And so each of my kids, I drive them to school um, way before I'm ready. So I've, I've, believe it or not, drinking coffee has been something that's given me more energy for my kids uh, because that's the only time I get with my kids, you know, on one-on-one um, these days, you know, it's a, uh, they, they go to their rooms to do schoolwork after school or, or talk to their friends. You know, it's all, it's all through discord or, or texts. And that's the only time I get, I get, I get about eight minutes on the drive from our house to the school and however long it takes for them to, to decide to get out of the car. And, and if I didn't have coffee in the morning, I I'd be completely dead to them and, and would have no, just no energy for that. And then I've also found I've, I'm actually, there's a, there's a TikTok thing that I have still haven't ever seen TikTok, but I have friends who've seen this challenge. It's called 75 hard clay. Have you ever heard of that? Oh yeah. Tell me. Yeah. So it's 75 days and you have to be on a diet. You have to read 15 pages of a book. You have to do two exercise routines of 45 minutes each. One of them has to be outside, which is kind of interesting when it's, you know, below zero outside. Um, Are these like one thing a day or is that no, you all, do all of those every single day? Nope. I'm out. And if, if you miss a day, you start over, right? Not it. So I've got, I've got several friends. Oh, and the books you're supposed to read, you're supposed to read nonfiction it's supposed to be like self-improvement sort of stuff or leadership <laughs> stuff or some people uh, used it to, to read through the books for uh, project management, this project management certification. Anyway, um, so it's all about self-improvement and doing that. Well, I decided I was going to do it, but not quite so intense. So I'm doing 100 days, which, you know, is longer, but I, I have forgiveness built in. So if I miss a day, I add a day onto the end. Um, I've missed three days. So, so it'll be 103 days. But I've been doing that, sticking to, sticking to, uh, I'm doing intermittent fasting diet, which has been interesting. It's been, been good for me. It also helps with my energy. I found it really helps. And for, for whatever reason, I, I don't know why, you know, I take my vitamin, I, uh, I go for it and, uh, it, I, I really feel like I'm, I'm doing better. I'm going for walks outside and, and the boys will go with me on the walks and I feel like I'm more there for them, but unfortunately, you know, the times we're in, they're less there for me. So <laughs> I, have to, right. I have to steal my time when I can get it. So we'll see, but you know, we'll end up going out. I think, I think pretty soon we, we went on some hikes, I've got some nature areas down the road and, and we went out on a, a couple hikes and the boys really, really enjoyed that. And so I think we've got that in the future. 
Our, our family has doubled down. We bought a rowing machine because, of course, our little high school has a rowing team. Um, we always place in the top 20 in the state because there, I think there are like 15 teams in the state. So we're always in the top 20. Um, <laughs> Listen, uh, we don't want to get off on the whole tangent of college sports and admissions. <laughs> That's it. Rowing <laughs> is key. That is a, that is a major on-ramp to college admissions. Yale, here we come. My, my wife was a rower. So I know a little bit about that, but that's, yeah. that's great. That's good. Well, for you, we man. have a sailing team too. They're probably the top 100 in the, in the country. Sailing is also, well, as yeah. we know from. I would love to, to do. Well, sailing. I mean, I don't know, Texas and Kentucky, you, you probably don't understand just how bad the Ohio state Michigan thing is, but the Michigan state championships for sailing are in Ohio. That's how few oh. sailing teams there are in Michigan. <laughs> they have to go to Cleveland for the sailing championship. So, hey, I learned I learned to windsurf in Arizona. So in the desert. So it I get it. <laughs> sailing sailing I, I think actual sailing a boat would be a lot of fun. It is. I'll tell you. Clay, you've sailed, right? I have. I have. And yeah. uh, I've done some sailing. I'm not a particularly good sailor. My kids are, and part of our our summer program is, you know, we we go to the East Coast, and the kids took sailing lessons, and it was, you know, an important. I I think that it's it's an incredible life skill, and just brings you into contact with nature in a way that it, uh, it, I think you it, other it, things do, like pay attention to the tide, pay attention to the wind pay attention to everything around you and then pay attention to that into this really kind of cool experience. So I'm a huge fan of sailing. And of course my, my older son who just is a, well, he's a coast guard officer. He yeah. was a, he was in charge of the sailing waterfront at the coast guard Academy. And he was in charge of instructing the younger cadets, the first year swabs in how to sail these very simple 420 two sailed racing boats that they've got dozens of at the Coast Guard Academy. And those are some of my favorite photos of, of his whole uh, Coast Guard ex Academy experience is him coaching these young kids and their helmets and their goofy looking life jackets um, and their shaved heads and they're just looking terrified and Wilson <laughs> is trying to teach them how to and and you'd be amazed how few kids show up at the Coast Guard Academy with any experience on the water at all you would think that you know and I think that's true of the Navy as well that they they show up you know and they're they're from Idaho, you know, they never have seen the ocean and they've never been in a boat. And so for the few salty souls that show up there, that's kind of their genetic. Anyway, that's a long digressive way of saying that I think sailing is cool. Yeah. So we're it, gonna... it's not hokey to say that it, it, it puts you in with nature. It, it really does because you, you get thrown from a, a, one of those little schooner, little, little sailboats or from a, a, a sailboard you can get thrown pretty far just because the wind decided, yeah, I'm done with you. And just, and you're 20 feet away from your, <laughs> from your rig. And you're like, what the hell happened? So 
a blast. Uh, it's it, it, something I wish I could, I, I live somewhere that I could teach my kids that we don't have anywhere really close in Kentucky. So, yeah. Well, unfortunately the, the rowing actually the, the last weekend before Michigan shut down was an indoor regatta that we had for our rowing team. And we had people from Canada coming across, uh, coming across the border to attend this regatta, probably 300 people in our middle school cafeteria doing rowing machines they did try to sanitize those rowing machines between uses, but more like the way we used to just to wipe the sweat off, <laughs> not thinking about that, but everybody was shoulder to shoulder. And uh, we're so lucky that we didn't lose people because of that. You know, we, I was about to ask how you do an indoor regatta. Like, did they put the boats so in? It's, it's, <laughs> it's really, it's really awesome. They take the rowing machines, they've got them linked together over a network. And then they've got these displays up on the wall. And they've got a virtual, and, and every one of those rowing machines has has a display in front of it too. And so if you're rowing, you see this display and it's got, it's, it's got a marker telling you, it shows you how far you've gone. So 50 meters or whatever. And then it's got like a, it's got like a rabbit sort of thing that shows you how far ahead somebody is from you or, you know, where, where people are. And, and it sort of gives you a pace to, to catch up to. And then overhead, they actually have a board that shows all of the, the boats going across the, going across the screen. <laughs> so Atari with actual rowing machines. Ab- absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, it may as well have been a Wii. But, uh, but I'll tell you, so, so my kids, that was the first time they'd ever been on a rowing machine was at the regatta in the very first race of this regatta. And of course they didn't have the stroke. They didn't have the, the thing. Tristan, Tristan was a fourth grader, right? This was a, this was a open, you know, they had an open men's class where you've got people who could have been, you know, competing for the Olympics, you know, doing this. And, and my kids who've never been on a rowing machine are competing in the first heat. That's all the, the middle school and younger kids. And of course they're last, they're competing against kids from Canada and Ohio and all over the place. UP people come in from six, seven hours away, but they're the last ones on those machines. Everybody else is off the machines by the time they're getting to the, like the last three quarters. And so everybody, like I said, about 300 people cheering my kids on yeah. to finish the race because, cool. you know, so their first attempt at this was the most supportive environment you could ever be in. Yeah. It was absolutely amazing. And cool. it, it really won me for, for rowing for these kids. Cause I think the, the environment's just so supportive. We don't have expectations. They're going to do anything. And, and like you said, clay, it's like an automatic entry into college with scholarships <laughs> even. Right. If you've got a kid that's tall and strong and they're there already. Yeah. I mean, they, they will scoop those kids up. It's, I mean, I think it's changing. I think a lot of people have sort of, and we can talk about, I can speak endlessly to this issue of college admissions and athletics. There is no, there is no route into college anymore that is not being exploited and getting close attention from parents if you have paid attention at all to the recent highly publicized college admission scandals, 
um, that crew and sailing both were were featured prominently in that. I think people are aware that in in you know just even six or seven years ago, you know I think people identified that that crew was you know that that crew coaches would be you know going to registration day and walking up to every kid that was over six feet tall and said, "Hey, have you ever thought about rowing crew?" That's really not the case anymore. Now it's, you know, like everything is competitive, but I do, I do think that that's a, a there's significant opportunities there, but, but we, well, and it's great exercise. So, so that's it. My goal is to get my weight down to where I can actually use our rowing machine. And then once that's on, it's game on. We'll, uh, we'll have a whole family of rowers. We'll have our own boat. We'll we'll be doing it. You're a quad. That's right. It'll be great. you live on an island, so I mean, do, do it. Yeah, so, yeah, and we should have our own like freighter too. Hey, is it <laughs> is it windy where you live? Around yeah, that's here? Chicago. That's that's on the other lake. Okay. Well, no, it, I, it is I, windy. Okay, because I I I designated myself as the wind killer because I would go and take my sail rig to the lake and 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 be blowing like crazy and and take it off the car and it's blowing around and I'm setting it up and I'm putting it together and then I'm getting ready to take it into the water and it goes flat. And so, <laughs> well, we're also, on, we're also on a river, so your boat's going to go somewhere. So <laughs> there's, there's no chance that you're not moving, but you just floating on moving. a windsurfer, just floating around on a windsurfer, holding the sail up yourself sucks. <laughs> yep. yep. Yes, indeed. All right. Well, that's great. Thanks to Nick and Clay and their awesome families for sharing them with us. The Ask Dad Labs podcast is produced and edited by me, Ben Fote, and Fote Media Productions. Like, follow, subscribe, share, and assimilate across the social media landscape wherever you find Dad Labs. Talk to you next time.